Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 503 of the Juicebox podcast. This episode comes to you directly from the Great White North. And in a second, I'll tell you what it's all about. Trevor and his family live in Manitoba, and they got very involved in politics and fighting for people with type 1. It's an interesting story about making change, and if you're looking to make change of your own somewhere in your own life, there's a heck of a blueprint in here. On top of that, Trevor wrote a great blog post about how they did what they did, which you'll find out about in a second, and I will link in the podcast show notes. It'll also be available at juiceboxpodcast.com. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I wonder if anyone listening to this remembers Bob and Doug McKenzie. That has nothing to do with today's episode, but I said the Great White North earlier, and it made me wonder if any of you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, here's Trevor. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Please learn more about the Dexcom at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. The episode is also sponsored by Omnipod, and you may be eligible right now to get a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. That is using an insulin pump for free for 30 days. Run over to Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Find out if you're eligible. And I'd like to thank some members of the Juicebox podcast. Recently in an episode, I described that there is now a buy me a coffee campaign for the podcast. It's buymeacoffee.com forward slash juicebox. It's a place you can go and throw in a couple of dollars or even buy a membership. The money just goes to me, just money I'll use to pay my bills and support the show. And, you know, I explained it in other episodes. There's people who were looking to do some more. A number of them reached out to me. We ended up doing this. And much to my surprise, somebody actually went and did it, which um, was, was really heartwarming and touching, honestly. But anyway, uh, when you join and become a member, I say your name. So thank you very much, Marilyn, Allison, Larissa, Melissa, Leah, Blue, Julie, Grace, Daniel, Jennifer, and Jeanette. It was very kind of you to support the show in this way, and I appreciate it, ladies and gentlemen, people who are sending me money. Yay! Anyway, the podcast is ad-supported. Uh, it is my goal forever to keep it free for you to listen to. This has nothing to do with that. Don't think that I'm moving towards something else. I am not. Uh, I am definitely not. As long as I can cover this podcast and my costs uh, with advertisements, I absolutely will. This podcast should be free for everyone who wants it, and it is part of my fight to keep it that way. This is just a thing that incredibly kind people have done, and uh, I thank them. All right, let's get to the episode. So I can stop being uncomfortable because, uh, anyway, this is a nice thing that people did. I, um, I don't think it's something I would have done on my own, but I appreciate the support very much. Here's Trevor. 
I'm Trevor. I'm the parent of a 10-year-old with type 1 diabetes. We live um, on a small farm in Manitoba, Canada. It's the traditional territory, um, Treaty 1 territory, the, the original lands of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dene, Dakota peoples, and the traditional homeland of the Métis people. You know, Trevor, so if you ever want to context, <laughs> if you want to talk about diabetes stuff, you shouldn't lead with something like that. <laughs> what, what, um, um, it's I guess it's it's something that we're trying to do more in Canada, um, no matter what we're talking about, um, to just give some context to the place where we are. Um, so a lot of people are doing this now in in their introductions oh. oh and also my pronouns are he and him well here's something that you're not going to end up saying that i think is super important you look like you're 12 and i can't believe you have a child <laughs> i don't mean that in a I'm bad way 36 you know, there's no way you're 30 like if you said to me right now scott i'm 18 and i'm just getting going in life i'd be like yeah right on let's talk you would have never i would never think that it's just uh it's it's hilarious, but I, it's uh, great when you're older. You'll be thrilled about it. Trust me. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I'm 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 waiting for <laughs> no I mean, for when, that to when you're fifty to I, match up. It's a long time to pay you back, but when you're like 50, 55 years old, and people are like, "Oh my God, Trevor looks is forty, right?" You'll be like, "Yes, yeah, I definitely forty. You just go along with it. You nod your head, and that'll be that. Um, yeah, there you go. Won't pay you back too soon. <laughs> well, that's very nice. Uh, tell me a little bit. Uh, you said your son, right? Yeah. How old was he when he was diagnosed? He was eight. Um, I think in some ways we had a really typical diagnosis story. Nothing like DKA on a plane. Mm -hmm. um, oh, did you, you that heard that episode one? was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe that story. That that was amazing. You but should have yeah, been here. In, in, I'm sorry, Trevor, you should have been here when I was recording it. My heart started beating. I got all sweaty and clammy, and I was like, oh, my God. It was like, you know, when you're – it's like watching Titanic. <laughs> and you're oh, like, yeah. You're like, Me too, I, as I was listening. <laughs> I know this boat's going to sink, but I'm still really, like, invested. And I was I was just listening and so invested in what she was saying. And, um, and yet I'm like, I know the child's fine. I know it's years later, you know, all that stuff. So, anyway, I'm sorry. Right. Let's get yours. I, I wish that she could have remembered where in Canada she had landed. I was just so curious to wonder, like, well, which hospital was that? <laughs> Wasn't it interesting that it was so such a harried experience that she was yeah. literally in a place and she didn't know where she was? And it didn't matter. Right. That's, I thought right. it was fascinating. Yeah, really. Anyway, uh, yeah, a couple years ago, us, your kid. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he had all those typical signs, like he was so thirsty and really tired and super hungry and peeing a lot. And we tried to get an appointment with our nurse practitioner and she was on vacation and we got an appointment that would have been like two months out or something. <laughs> and so then my, my husband took him to a walk-in clinic and the walk-in clinic doctor there completely missed the diagnosis no and said, well, you know, there's been this virus going around um, and a lot of kids come in looking like this. And, and I mean, the doctor at least did want to do blood work and did ask, is there any diabetes in your family, mm -hmm. which there wasn't. Um, but 
the the appointment was on a Saturday and it was the start of a long weekend and all the labs were closed already. So, and I think, I think we had a bit of a false sense of reassurance having seen a doctor who didn't say, you know, rush this child to the emergency room. Right. We waited out that weekend and, and then my husband took him to the lab on Tuesday when the lab opened up again and, and took him to have his blood work drawn and brought him back home. And then he went to work and I just, I looked at our son sitting on the couch and I could see his breathing was different. Hmm. And at that point I was like, okay, this is just terrible and scary and I have to take him in right now. Like then I, I knew we can't, we can't wait for lab results. Right. <laughs> like we hey, just have to take him in. I have a question and it's going to be a little hindsighty, but when the doctor says, is there any um, history of diabetes in your family? You say no. If he would have said, is there any history of autoimmune and started listening, listing them, celiac, thyroid, like that, would he have hit on something? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My partner has thyroid. Mm. And that's something. It's just, you, you can't, you just have to ask the bigger question because it doesn't always go, you know, thyroid doesn't always beget thyroid, diabetes, et cetera. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, and the, the people at the emergency room, they uh, like the endo there, I think ended up phoning that walk-in clinic doctor and, and saying like, look, if you even suspect that it could maybe be diabetes in a child, that's a pediatric emergency. You okay. don't wait over the weekend for that. You don't, you don't ask two people <laughs> who aren't doctors, Hey, you think this is diabetes? You go, uh, I don't think so. Go, oh, okay. Good enough for me. <laughs> Thanks <a lot>. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks a yeah, lot. Yeah. So like when I took him to the hospital, he, he was in DKA, uh -huh. the, the intake nurse knew exactly what it was. Sure. I didn't even get through listing all the symptoms. And she got out a, a blood meter and pricked his finger and the machine just read high. Mm -hmm. Well, that's somebody who's seen it before, you know, knows right. what to do right away. Yeah. I will never yeah. forget. We, we had basically diagnosed Arden prior to taking her to the hospital. And we told the intake nurse, she has diabetes. And she was like, and what's happening? And we went, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. We're telling you, we just figured out she has diabetes. Like, at yeah. first it came off like, oh, we're here. Our daughter has a problem We're in the emergency room. We just want to let you know she has diabetes. But what we were trying to say was, hey, uh, hey, look up. <laughs> we just figured out she has diabetes. Using wow. the very primitive internet back then, by the way. Um, I wish I knew what website we landed on to figure that out back then, but I don't remember. So, for you. so what happens next? You're, you're in the hospital, DKA, younger kid. Um, I, I was just speaking to someone from Canada the other day who did not have glowing things to say about the healthcare system, but did tell me that in an emergency situation, you skip, you know, you don't, the, the waiting that apparently happens on other stuff doesn't happen, obviously, with emergency stuff. So what happens afterwards? Yeah, actually, that was a, what I was about to say. Like, we didn't even see the waiting room. We just went right in and the, the ER nurses were really great. Um, I'm, I will never forget them. We, yeah. Their names were Rico and Nico. Those were two of the nurses that we had. Um, they, 
they had to struggle to get an IV into him because he was so dehydrated already by that point. So that was pretty rough. But he was also feeling so awful that he didn't he didn't complain. He mm. didn't fight the needles going into his arms. That's a sad um, remembrance that you're that somebody was so sick that stuff that would normally make you go, "Whoa, what are we doing right now?" You're just like, "Whatever, it doesn't matter." You know, you can't yeah. even fight back. Oh my gosh. Hey, uh, Rico and Nico, did you go to a hospital run by the Disney Channel? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and I also, one one thing one of them told me that I'll never forget and and that I think really affected my whole outlook was he said, this is really overwhelming right now, but within a few months, you're going to be the expert on this for your child. You will know more than any nurse or doctor because you're going to be living it and you'll know what to do. And at the time, I thought, like, that's impossible. <laughs> I'm not going to know more, more than the endocrinologist or, or whatever, you know. Right. But, but then you get in that situation and, and you realize pretty quickly, yeah, we live with this every day. That's a loving thing to say because it's not a great in-the-moment message, but it is the right message. You know what I mean? It like, is. you know, it, because I could see you having the exact uh, response that you had or like looking at him, like, wait, what is this person talking about here? Like, I'm never going to know more than the doctor about this. Like, but just that that's something you look back on two, three weeks, I would imagine a month later. And you think, OK, well, the person told me we're going to gain knowledge and and soon we're really going to have this. And I would think of that as comforting moving forward. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it was a really busy time in our lives. I was about to run for election in in our country's next federal election. Actually, my nomination meeting happened 10 days after our son's diagnosis. Okay. So that was that was a time of a lot of learning for us to to try to run our first ever election campaign. It, that was a huge, huge deal. And when the endo was like, well, you're going back to school now. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna learn diabetes for the next three days. Um for eight hours every day, <laughs> I was like, "Wow, do do I have to do this right now?" <laughs> it just it seemed it seemed like a lot, and I I didn't know anything about it. I, right, I didn't, you know. Well, what I did you do? Really... Did you put something aside, or did you balance the whole thing? Um, we we just did everything. Yeah, just <laughs> we did somehow all. did it everything. I looking back, I still I have no idea how we did it. Um, a really, really kind friend of ours who has a child with type 1 who was diagnosed as an infant. She came to see us in the hospital. This was back before COVID when people could actually visit people in the hospital. And she brought she brought a bag of coffee as well as a, a food scale. And she showed us um, how she was watching her kids' blood sugars on on their CGM and actually they were looping and so she told us about loop and all that stuff and the bag of coffee really clued me in I was like oh okay like <laughs> there's something about this is going to make it so I don't get to sleep anymore mm-hmm. oh <laughs> I love that idea I thought they would just bring you a hammer to hit yourself in the head with so you don't have to uh, have to have to experience the whole thing in exact reality well, uh, she she was really great because yeah. she also said, "Don't leave the hospital without a prescription for a CGM." 
And that was fantastic advice. And it, it actually, it took a fair bit of fighting to get that because we, what we were going to find out is that our clinic here is very old school. Like I always, I get a kick out of it when, when I listen to an episode and you're talking to mm-hmm. an, an older person or, or someone who was diagnosed, you know, 20 years ago or something. And, and you, you'll say something like, oh, so was that back in the day of NPH and, and Toronto insulin or something? And I'm like, yeah, we still use that now <laughs> here in, in Manitoba. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, we have a big pile of it over here using it up, right? And and that's still how they'll start people off. Just They start every child here on NPH insulin. And it's in part because of the school system, because we don't have any nurses in the schools and school staff are prohibited from helping children with their insulin. They're also prohibited from giving glucagon um so you're really you're on your own um and of course nph it's an intermediate acting insulin that peaks somewhere between six and 12 hours after it's given and you're supposed to somehow use that to cover their lunchtime carbs yeah trevor i have to tell you that more and more people come on to the podcast from canada and it it ruins the shine that i think about with canada every time (laughs) like it's such an odd idea that I mean, we're going to give somebody a medication that is considered to be, you know, uh, from a of another era because we don't want to put a nurse in the school. It is such a huge problem. Yeah. Like our our healthcare system will pay for a lot of things. It will pay for you to go into DKA twice a month and be hospitalized twice a month hmm. for as many times as that has to happen. But it won't pay for um for a nurse in the school it won't pay for a cgm yeah that's um, really interesting yeah yeah because we you know we have health care but we don't have we don't really have a pharmacare system right so there's there's a lot of problems but that's such a con- i mean that's such an i know there are a lot of problems in the world and they're not all easy to fix but this one's right there. It's obvious, right? Like it's it, yeah. you, you could explain it to somebody who doesn't understand it and in five minutes. They'd say, oh, I think we're doing that wrong. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Exactly. And um, and we've been a group of us have been working really hard trying to get this changed here. And it's it's incredible how difficult it has been. What I heard one person say is fighting so hard for never enough. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, you're never really getting, even when you win, you don't get what you need. You get a, a concession. Right. Bit, yeah. I mean, piece. when when we started working on this, our province had no coverage for CGMs for anybody. Mm-hmm. And and after months and months of, of putting pretty intense pressure on the government and getting a lot of stuff in the media, um, in the in the recent budget announcement, they announced coverage of CGMs and insulin pumps up to age 25. <laughs> and this, after 25, you just, just do a better job on your own. What, what is that Manitoba? That's where you got that done? Yeah. yeah. You, tell me how, who spearheaded that? Was it you and, or somebody else? And, and how do you, how did you pull together kind of a grassroots fight like that? 
It was a whole group of us. I think a lot of people have been trying for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't any one person doing it alone, but I think it was the coordination this time that made it kind of different. I think a lot of people have felt very isolated and lonely having their battles kind of one person at a time. Like there's so much to battle, right? I mean, we had to, we had to actually fight to get off of NPH. (laughs) Even that was a fight. Even though I could drive to my kid's school every day and give him insulin every day for lunchtime. And I said that I was willing to do that, but that was a fight to, to convince them to let us make that change. Um, So you're, you know, you're fighting with the clinic and you're, you're fighting with the government and, and it's all, it just feels like too much if you're doing it alone. But when the, when the pandemic started in our private local Facebook group, there were just so many posts from people struggling where it it had always been hard. Like this province had some of the worst, um, worst diabetes coverage in the country before. Mm -hmm. And, and then with people losing their, private health insurance um, for for what little coverage they did have and losing their income, it it just got so bad. And I convinced a couple of people to participate in a news interview for CBC. Okay. And finally, when a couple of people were actually willing to talk about it publicly, then a whole bunch of other people saw that it was not just them alone. And, and then suddenly it was like the floodgates opened (laughs) and we, we set up this public Facebook page where people were sharing their stories and people started out kind of sharing more privately, anonymously. And then the more that people shared, the more confident everybody seemed to become, Mm -hmm. I think. You know, it's funny, this is not related to doing anything good, but Somebody got it in their head to mess with me uh, during the pandemic. And I said to my wife, I was like, this person better stop because I have a ton of free time right now. <laughs> I, uh, I'd be happy to get into this just to give me something to do. And it, isn't it interesting, too? And I'm, I want to understand, like you said a little bit, but I do want to understand a little more deeply how you got some success. But I think that the it's not a mistake. I mean, I guess it is a mistake. The mistake some people make when they're fighting against something like this is that they think they're fighting for right versus wrong. They think that they're going to hold up. Look, this is right. This is sensible. You're in charge of helping us see that this is sensible. Make it make sense. But that's not really the path you need. The path you need is take the person who makes sense. And I know this is terrible. uh, Who's in power and show them how helping you will help them. And when you do that, you get things done. But you you know, people don't do things for the right reasons. They do things sadly most of the time to move themselves along. And you you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that yeah, about what you and found? We we have a government right now that um, it's a it's a conservative government. It's very interested in saving money. Um, so in that budget announcement, almost everything else that was announced was cuts. Yeah. Um, and, and people really applauded, oh, wow, you got coverage up to age 25, which of course we felt like, well, that's, it's really not good enough, Mm -hmm. but people were excited that, that we got something. But yeah, I think, I think from, from a citizen's standpoint, you feel like, 
You know, I I took half an hour and I I wrote an email to my representative and <laughs> and that was a big deal for me. And on their end, they they don't even see that stuff. Like I I mean, those emails and phone calls they go through assistants and they don't even get passed to the representative until there's a certain volume, I think. And then if you also get something in the media, that's when there's suddenly you get noticed. And so may, may I take play devil's advocate for a second as a person who runs a, a Facebook page, it's just not apples to apples, but it sort of is. If you think about it, one kook you can't respond to because then you get mired down in just like someone's crazy focus. But when you start hearing from 20 people, you go, Oh, maybe this isn't a crazy thing. Maybe this is something people think. And, yes. it, and it brings your attention to it. Then you're like, okay, like it's part of me thinks that's terrible that one person's voice doesn't make it to where they intend. And then, then there's a part of me that goes, well, it does make sense. If I was on the other end of this and I addressed every single piece of email that came, I'd never get anything else accomplished. It's uh, sure. It's a weird yeah. Balance. I mean, they're, they're busy and overwhelmed. It's the middle of a pandemic, but, but also, People have been trying to get this done for years, yeah. and there have been organized efforts before done by Diabetes Canada and JDRF um, through their advocacy branches. Do, do you think, I don't mean to cut you off, but do you think that that's known from elected official to elected official? Like, couldn't that have been done while someone else was in that office and they, the new person might not even know anything about it, right? Yes. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, You're making it sound I mean, hopeless. some of them, there, there were some people that we, we found, uh, I mean, we went back into Hansard is where you can look up everything that's ever been said in the legislature. Wow. And so we found some people that were like, hey, when back when you were in opposition 20 years ago, you were talking about how, how the government needs to do more to support people with type one diabetes yeah. and, and now you're the health minister. <laughs> like what's going on? Why is change? it so hard to reach you? Well, Trevor, because, um, because nothing's about, you want to hear a little bit of the, my thoughts about things. Uh, nothing's yeah. about what it seems like it's about. Everything's about having power and keeping it or not having power and getting it. That, right. That's how people's minds work. I'm, yeah. Well, and that's, I mean? that's where it's so important to bring in the media I think. Right. Yeah. To, to, to shine. It's the bright light. You, you shine the bright light on you go, look, we can't ignore this. You're doing a bad thing. We're going to let people see if you don't do something. It's it, it, you're holding people's feet to the fire. Yeah. And we tried to always keep it really positive. We, we've always just said like, this is about education. We're sure that once they really understand that mm -hmm. they will support this because it's so obvious once you get it. Yeah you have to do something. So so we came up with with all sorts of stuff to get this into the media. The first one um, was the Great Manitoban Finger Prick Challenge, where we invited all our MLAs to prick their own fingers 10 times in one day, because that's what Manitoba Pharmacare does cover. Right. Um, it covers those finger pricks, right? But not a CGM. And... And we actually had a surprising number of MLAs take us up on that challenge. We got about 15 of them to do it. And we asked them all to make videos of themselves doing it and post about it on social media. And a lot of them 
said that they they learned a lot. Um, oh, and this is where we could do your ad for the contour next. <laughs> Because when uh, I we worked with a pharmacist, um, actually my kid's pharmacist, he has a kid with type one diabetes, and and so he supplied the finger prick kits for the politicians, okay. um, and he like he was so happy to do this and and have them have that experience. But when we were talking about well, which kind of which kind of finger pricker should we give them? Like, what brand are we going to go with? And we both agreed that it would not be the contour next <laughs> because it has that option to um, to try again with the same strip, <laughs> you which all the other ones don't, right? We were like, <laughs> it could be anything else, but not that one. <laughs> Trevor, this is unprecedented for the show, but the contour next one, blood sugar, <laughs> blood, glu- <laughs> blood glucose meter offers second chance test strips, meaning if you go in one time, get some blood, but not enough, you can actually go back, get more without ruining the test strip or messing up the accuracy of the test, contournext.com forward slash juice box. Okay, no, we'll go right back into that, Trevor. That was excellently done. <laughs> so you didn't want to give them a good meter. You wanted them to struggle a little bit. Well, no, I mean, we wanted to give them a good meter. We did We did give them a, a good meter, just not the Contour Next. Not because... one that was going to help them too much. <laughs> I see. Yeah, you. so so I mean, they, they got a very nice modern meter. Um just not not the contour next uh and yeah there there was not a single politician who was actually able to complete the whole test without getting any error messages and without wasting a strip Mm -hmm. so i think they all learned a lot from that experience from having to actually do it because a lot of people go through that yeah that's excellent that's a great idea you know it's funny when you first said you did the manitoba finger prick challenge i thought you just told a bunch of people in manitoba to give the finger to the pricks in government. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought you were going to say. Like, we ran up to their buildings and gave them the finger. <laughs> you, you can see that my my um, my um ideas probably would not have led to any success. But what did your ideas lead to? Um, well, the first thing was really great media coverage, yeah. which helped a lot. Um, I think for, for media... You kind of, you need a reason, why should they cover this right now? You can't just say, hey, look, like these people with diabetes, they don't have good enough coverage and it's always been like this and we would like it to change now. Mm. But if you create an event or, I mean, I hate to say gimmick, but it's almost what it is in a way, (laughs) a very fancy and educational media gimmick then they will report on that. So each time we put together something like that, we put out a press release that we sent out to every local journalist. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them right away picked up the great Manitoban finger prick challenge. And they wrote about it before we even had a single MLA signed up to do it. So that, that was pretty cool. I would love to have seen in the back room, like in in the government side, like if they're just like, oh, I saw that in the news. I guess we should not ignore these people. Like if it's just that base and simple, you know what I mean? Like you put it in their face. So they're like, well, we can't ignore this. We're hearing about it somewhere. It's almost like seeing three tweets and you're like, oh, it's a thing. It's not a thing. It's three tweets. But yeah, I think it might be as simple as that. And then we, we, we just, we kept going. <laughs> like we, we got a certain number of MLAs that did the finger prick challenge and that was great. 
but but then we needed more reasons to get the media to cover it. So the next one that we did was the Antique Diabetes Roadshow. And a group of us showed up outside the legislature with with antiques from the same era as as finger pricks, right? From, you know, stuff from the 80s. And also also we talked about NPH insulin being so ancient. So we brought things like a, a typewriter and just made a display outside the legislature. It's a real challenge with COVID. How, like how you can't really do a, a protest. You right. can't you can't have thousands of people show up and, and show your strength in numbers. So you you have to be really creative. Yeah. At that time, our gathering limit here was 10, 10 people in a public place. So we coordinated amongst ourselves and made sure to have no more than 10 people. Media don't count towards the, um, the public gathering limit, um, yeah. which was very helpful. Yeah. And funny, by the way. If 10's the number, yeah, right? then, then what's 10, unless you're in the media, then there could be 50 people here. You're fine. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess because they they cover uh, they they follow protocols right, right for them for themselves. Um, and and I think it's it's important for media to be able to cover events. Um, yeah, no, that's of a course. really important part of our democracy. Hey. So I guess that's that's why they don't before. count towards that limit. But but again, so we we sent out a press release the day before, and then we sent it out again the morning of, and all the media showed up. Wow. to cover this event that we had. And then two weeks later, we did another one. <laughs> we did the amazing race for diabetes coverage and um, kind of had had this event sort of amazing race style. And so for that one, we invited MLAs to partner with someone with type 1 diabetes. And by that time, the gathering limit had changed to 25. So it was a little easier to coordinate that. And, and so we had the MLAs doing things like, oh, at this table, you've got to count carbs and you've got to figure out an insulin dose. And then we would kind of, we would make it so the insulin dose would be really hard to do with pen needles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would work out much easier with an insulin pump, but then it would be this opportunity to explain to them like this is how this is so difficult yeah. on a daily basis without this these are technology really creative brilliant ideas to to show things to people um it's it's it, it, because you have to make yourself you have to make yourself a human being in their eyes because i think that i think the one thing that happens in government and I certainly don't want to be in charge of a government, but if you put yourself in the shoes of someone who is not just thinking about people with diabetes or people who have cancer or people who can't afford their electric bills, but they're trying to think about not just, I I think you, you want to hope that a leader is thinking about everyone. What is your blood sugar doing right now? Is it rising or falling? Is it playing nice and staying stable? What number is it at? I know my daughters. With a flick of a wrist, with a flick of a with a flick of a with a flick of my finger, I open up my iPhone. Lickety split. Arden's blood sugar is drum roll please, ninety two. It's actually been incredibly stable at that number for about the last fifty five minutes. Prior to that. It was a little lower at 75. I can actually see what rate it came up at. It's amazing. 
Dexcom. That's how I know. I have the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor on my daughter right now. She is wearing it and it is sending her her blood sugar on her iPhone and me on mine. She could actually share it with up to 10 people and those people could have an iPhone or an Android or a mix, right? Doesn't have to be anything specific. It's whatever you're using. Imagine being able to see the speed and direction of your blood sugar in real time. It's astonishing. The Dexcom G6 is a triumph. It is a leap in how people take care of diabetes. It's absolutely magical. Learn more at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Actually, you can learn more or get started with Dexcom G6 today by going to that link. The Dexcom is at the core of every decision that we make about insulin and about carbs. It is super simple to use. It integrates well into your life. And it does what it's supposed to do in a way that just makes things better. That's my opinion, but I think you'll find the same. Another thing that I love is the Omnipod. You go to Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. When you get there, guess what? Guess what you might find out when you get there? You may find out that you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Take that pod out for a test drive, my friend, for 30 days. Imagine if you went to test drive a car and they're like, bring it back next month. You'd be like, legit? Okay. That's what Omnipod's doing here. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. No tubes to get in the way. Simplify your meal times. No more multiple daily injections. Head over, check your eligibility and your coverage. This could be the beginning of a summer for you like no other. Swimming, bathing, running, jumping, frolicking, a tumber salt, which I believe is called a somersault. You could do that and you're you, like, well, needles wouldn't come flying out of your pockets. And if you had like a tube pump, the controller wouldn't come flying off. Like I imagine a somersault with a tubed pump could lead to the pump being wrapped around your neck multiple times and probably when the tubing gets a little shorter is it like zing zing zings around your neck like you know when you used to take the swings and you'd hit them up really like, you know what i mean you'd get the swing when you were a kid you'd throw it really hard and it would wrap around the pole that's how i'm seeing the pump like wrapping around your neck you do a somersault then zzz, and then when you know what happens when the tubing gets short enough it just the thing just smacks you right in the head so anyway with omnipod that wouldn't happen that's pretty much what i'm saying Omnipod.com forward slash juice stop juice box. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Do a somersault. Don't get hit in the head with an insulin pump. Wait, that's a marketing campaign. You're welcome, Omnipod. That extra bit there, that was free. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Let's get back to Trevor. But I think they're thinking about the machine, about keeping the country moving, about being here in 50 years, 100 years, about not having your democracy fall apart. Like that, They're thinking about bigger ideas, and it's hurtful, but kind of obvious to realize that on a person-to-person level, you really aren't the focus. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Like It's almost like if a mother duckling's walking along with eight or nine ducks and one of them breaks a leg. She looks back and goes, all right, well, now I got one less duck and I keep going. Like, that's that, like, keep the pack alive mentality that I can understand, 
but makes this kind of stuff so difficult to fight against because, and then I guess the only way to really do it is to stop and go, look, we're not a pack of ducks. I'm a duckling with a broken leg. Like see me and, and then help me because not only do you have the power to help me, but we are putting effort and money into things that are far less productive than what we could be doing. That's a, it's yeah, a big job. I mean, that's where like, we also have to point out that the broken leg is actually really expensive for the yeah. whole system. Right. And here in Manitoba, we have the highest per capita rate of dialysis in the country. Hmm. And of course, the system pays for that and has to pay for that. Excellent. Uh, excellent and, that you're pointing it out. Not excellent that people have dialysis. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I got ahead of myself there. Yeah, what you point out to them is, no, we can't walk away from this duckling. It's chained to us, and we're dragging it along with us. It's it's now, yeah, right. yeah. Well, one one of the health minister's assistants actually was the inspiration for the next event that we planned because this was after the budget was announced and and we just we kept phoning we kept phoning the health minister's office saying, "Well, what about everybody over the age of 25? Yeah. What about all those people? And and what about all the long-term complications on how expensive they are?" And in one of those complications, the health, in one of those conversations, excuse me, the health minister's assistant said to me, well, not everybody with type 1 diabetes ends up on dialysis, you know. And I think like he was trying to say this in the context of the cost savings analysis. Right. But it comes that off one would like, be looking at. Yeah. But the, he gave me this idea. I was right. like, well how many people with type 1 diabetes do end up on dialysis? Let me find like, out. How does that work out? And I was shocked mm. <laughs> to look up those statistics. It's, uh, it's well, really scary. Trevor, it's almost as if the insulin that was being used in the 70s and 80s is not the best way to take care of type 1 diabetes. Isn't that shocking? <laughs> Yeah, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. You you must have been just knocked right over. (laughs) I mean, like when when our son was diagnosed that that first day in the hospital, the endocrinologist talked to us about our private health insurance and what we had. And as a Canadian, that's really shocking. We're Mm -hmm. not used to that. You're used to like you go to the doctor, you never pay a cent, you just show your health card. And and it was it was incredible to <laughs> to have that conversation and then um and then the diabetes educator said something like you know i think she wanted to impress upon us how serious this disease is and and the consequences of long term complications and so she was talking about all that stuff and i i was like yeah i am really scared of that i i have a friend my age who is on dialysis has had an amputation and has lost his vision and i i don't want that to happen to my child and i i don't understand how this happened to my friend who's the same age as me yeah. and she said well that it doesn't really it doesn't have to happen anymore with the technology that we have today Great. And and then you go, okay, but that's not covered for everybody. Can I have so it? No, you can't. What's gonna have it. happen? Yeah. <laughs> you can't have it, but I'll tell you what, if you did, you'd be so much better off. Anyway, we'll see you later. Thanks right? so much for coming. Yeah. What what right? inspiring just, news. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. So I think I mean it was some of those early conversations that also 
planted the seed for me that that eventually once once our family personally got out of just struggling with how to cope with everything that that hopefully we could do something um the day that the day that we went to the clinic to get off of nph um I actually, I drove through a terrible snowstorm to get there, but I was like, I am not going to miss this clinic appointment. This is not going to be delayed again. Like we just have to get him off of NPH. So we drove through this horrible snowstorm and because of the snowstorm, nobody else had showed up at the clinic that day. So we were just kind of chatting and the diabetes educator told me a story about a, a child in foster care that she'd cared for and that had seen another kid wearing a CGM mm. and said to the educator, why can't I have that? Oh, geez, did they tell them why? Because you're poor and then you don't have parents and we don't care about you? Because that seems like how it feels. You know what I mean? Like, really, really, I don't mean to be harsh. It just, it feels like, what else would you say to them? I, not that you would ever say that to a kid. Let me backtrack. But I mean, if that's the honest truth, then what do you say? You say, look, you don't rank here. And so, yeah. you know, you don't get to have this stuff. It's it's just fascinating. And and like you said, but they are banking up money so that when that poor kid grows up, they can put him in the hospital for DKA twice a month and get him on, um, you know, some sort of a kidney uh, dialysis. Really, yeah. it's just, do you think, do you, do you have a feeling for why the thinking is that way? I think... Um... I think governments like to think very short term. Um, so even when you talk to them about long term complications and the money that they would save um, if they covered the appropriate supplies and devices, I mean, even insulin, yeah. there are people in Canada who are rationing insulin hmm. because they can't afford it. And I know it's it's nothing like the problems that you have in the US, but it, it shouldn't be happening anywhere, really. Yeah. Um, but so they, they think, well, that's, that's long term and we want to save money now. We want to, we want to say that we're being fiscally responsible. We want to cut taxes. We want to do all those great things. Um, so one thing that we've, we've started trying to talk to them about is understanding what it can mean with diabetes when you say long term complications. If you're talking about retinopathy, it's not really that long. Like, I mean, I think it's something like 8% of people with type 1 diabetes will start showing signs of retinopathy just three years after diagnosis. It's not that long. Yeah, um, if and you're not a, being well managed, uh, things are going to go downhill quickly. Yeah. 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 So it's important, I, I think, because politicians don't, they don't know what, what you mean when you just say long term. Um, no, it's and not if people they're say used to. People. If they're used to thinking about infrastructure or something, then they're thinking 80 years, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that bridge will start crumbling in 2093. We'll get to it. That, and, yeah. And, and by the way, yeah. they, because, they thinking, because they're thinking about the, the money part of it, you really don't get thought of as a person. Like, you, you're not a bridge. We can't just come along and fix you. Like, once your eyes don't work, you know, they don't work. It, you don't, you right. don't get to, like, patch them back together again. I mean, there are treatments, but they're not. They're not going to put you there, back to normal. There are treatments that are also very ex expensive, like the yeah. you know the eye injections that they do. Right. Um, I I finally found a source for that for the just how much it costs, and it's about seven thousand dollars per injection per eye. Mm. 
Plus, and there are and not, people not that... for nothing, Trevor, you have to get a needle <laughs> in your eyeball. So, right. Can't I just yeah. have a CGM, please? <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, I mean, we try to talk about all those things, um, but it's, it's a, there's a lot of moving pieces there because even if you convince, say your local politician and the person is like, yes, I get this, you need this, but I am not the health minister. I am not the civil service and I am not the finance committee. And you need to convince all of those people. So how did you like, how do you do that? Like, and how big is Manitoba? Like, give it to me, like, pick a state in the United States. What does it measure up to like size wise? Well, Manitoba is not that big. I mean, we have about 1.35 million people here. But, but, but this is where you focus this on and this is where you were able to make the change. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Because in Canada, health is, uh, it's provincial jurisdiction. So we focused on our own province here where we live so, so let me ask, if you somehow ended up magically changing everyone's mind in that province, it's not like what you taught those people would have an opportunity to bleed out into a different province. Is that right? I think it could help. Okay. Um, one one thing that we did here was there while we were running this campaign, a couple of other provinces made commitments to improve their diabetes coverage. And then it became very clear that Manitoba was the worst in Canada. So that was another press release. No, nobody likes to be the worst yeah, in the I whole think. country for yeah. something. So we, we kind of, we did capitalize on that a little bit. Um, but you just, you have to work with every, every different component and you have to understand how changes can get made. So, I mean, if if the health minister really cares about something and says, hey, look, I've been getting all these emails and phone calls from these diabetes people, like what is going on? She will direct her staff to look into it. And, and then the civil service experts will look at the studies and look at the research. Um, and that's a whole nother problem that we have, which is... Um, they'll they'll only consider certain types of studies they prefer um they prefer clinical trials i guess they're what are they called like the double blinded kinds right Mm -hmm. um they prefer that kind of review they they don't prefer to look at what they call real world studies that are more retrospective yeah they're harder to Um, ignore (laughs) yeah so so another thing that we did, like we managed to get some meetings with the civil service as well. Um, so then you're talking to clinical analysts and you have to speak their language. Hmm. Um, so we were, we were looking at studies and we were poking holes in our own government's um, reviews of the technology. Huh. We have in Canada a, a body that is kind of more, more federal that's supposed to help to not have to duplicate the work so that each province one at a time doesn't have to look at all this stuff on its own. Right. So, so we were looking at the federal review of the technology and saying like, Hey, you know, the, it, it was published in 2020, but when you actually go and look at 
what they say they're talking about. They're talking about other meta-analysis of multiple studies. And when you go back and look at when those studies were published, some of them are from like 2006. Mm. Well, which which version of Dexcom were we using in 2006? Yeah. Like, yes, it was a lot more expensive back then and much less accurate. And things have really changed. Now, how about we look at a study where the data was actually collected in 2018 right. <laughs> using a much more more recent version of a CGM and look at those results. So we, we did things like that. And um, the, the civil service folks, they seem to be very appreciative, I think, for that sort of help because they're, they're looking at new, new drugs and devices all the time. And it's a lot of information to go through. And I think, I mean... I think it's reasonable that if you have this federal body that has written a report and someone's asking you, well, what about this CGM thing? And you go and you look at that federal report and it says, eh, not that great. Not sure if it's worth it. Well, yeah. I mean, what what decision are you going to make? But if somebody can come and help you and say, hey, like, these are the reasons why that federal review is not actually that strong. And why don't you look at this and this and this instead um, it's easier for them to make a better decision, I think. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if there's not a way to think of it more like a marketing problem too. Like, could you, you know, if you were a CGM company, like, could you go into an area and just pick, I don't know, fifty or a hundred people and put them on product and not even help them with it, just put them on it, and then gather their data for six months. And then gather a hundred people's data that don't have the 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 ability to see their blood sugar for six months, and just see if you can say, "Look, this was beneficial here," and give them a questionnaire yeah. about their stress oh, yeah. and their lifestyle and stuff like that. And if that wouldn't be an easy way to turn to people and say, "Look, this is what we found." As a matter of fact, uh, for anybody listening in a company, that's a great commercial. You know what I mean? Like that would be. Can you imagine yeah. a sixty-second ad where you you saw that breakdown very quickly? Um, you know, these hundred people did this, these hundred people didn't have it. Here's the outcomes after six months. Everyone living with diabetes would understand that. Every endocrinologist would understand that. Well, that's that's been done. Really? I mean, and nobody cares. With, well, with the <laughs> with the Libre um in mm-hmm. Europe, that was exactly what happened, but it was done on a on a huge scale because they started to have federal coverage for those devices. And so what Libre did was it looked at, okay, like in the year before people had this coverage, what was their rate of DKA Hmm. and and, uh, severe hypoglycemia? And in the year after, how did that change when people got coverage? And the reduction in DKA was about 50%. And it's looking at a huge sample size. It was like 70,000 people in France. And so this was the kind of thing that we were bringing to the civil service saying like, look, (laughs) look at this study. It's It's a massive sample size. They've already done it over there. Like they just decided to have this coverage. Why wouldn't we want this here? Yeah. And how can how can we ethically keep doing this to people yeah. when we know what a huge difference this technology makes? And and yet after the budget drop with the age 25 cutoff, when we would go back and talk to the politicians, like, why age 25? Why did you do this? They would still be talking about cost. 
which tells me that they they still don't fully understand the the cost savings argument like even if they don't care about people's kidneys even if they don't care about people's quality of life if if we can just talk about the dollars here dka and treating it in a hospital is really expensive and that's a short-term emergency. But is the problem, so, th- trying to put myself in their shoes, is the problem that that money for DK is going to places they want the money to go to? I, I hate this. Sure you know what I mean? I, I hate to boil it down. I hate to boil down people's health into such like cold ideas. But if I'm the politician, am I sitting there going, look, DK is much more expensive than putting somebody on a CGM. You're 100% right. But in column A, we're giving the money to the CGM company. And in column B, we're putting it into the hospital that hires doctors and nurses and people to clean the hospital. And we're keeping the machine moving this way. Like that. Oh, sure. Like yeah. it's, I mean, yeah, I think just that it's a different pot of money can be a problem mm-hmm. because the, the people that run the drug plan, they look at the costs of the drug plan. And maybe they're not looking at the costs with associated with the hospitals. I mean, we also keep trying to point out to them that right now, like this is an emergency, it's urgent. And now is not a good time to have people going to the hospital when it could be avoided. So if there's anything that we could do to, to keep people to out of them. the hospital, that would be great. Like actually, as of yesterday, Manitoba now has um, has the highest per capita rate in North America of new COVID infections. Mm. And also yesterday, they transferred three ICU patients to a different province because the ICUs are full here. Trevor, maybe you should so, move instead of trying to fix Manitoba. It might be underwater. What are we talking about? Here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty scary. Um yeah, it, well, I just, I mean, maybe you repurpose people. So instead of saying, look, we need you to get sick because that's how nurses and doctors and hospitals get paid. Maybe you could turn nurses and doctors and hospitals into people who showed you how to put on your CGM and how to read it and how to make better decisions. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why is there? Yeah, it, it just it, listen, it's, yeah, it's an well, obvious like worldwide problem, right? We attack problems after their problems. Like being proactive is not anybody's strong suit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like right now we have a shortage of nurses. We obviously have a shortage of, of space in the hospitals. So um, I, I don't think that it, I don't think that anybody's even saying like, you know, that's how nurses and doctors get paid is by people going into DKA. Yeah. That's not, I don't think that's really an argument here. No, I, I hear and what it's you're maybe saying. Maybe a little yeah. different from how it is in the US right. um, in that regard. But it's just, it's, it's yeah, I, perplexing. I think um, those resources could be spent on training people on their insulin pumps right. and yeah, teaching people how to use a CGM. Can you talk for a couple of minutes about the overall attitude that you guys used when you're undertaking this? Because there are a number of, uh, you know, patient advocacy things going on all over the world. And every one of them is is not just well intended, but needed. But some of them, their messaging, you can you hear their messaging and you just think that's not going to go anywhere. Like no one's going to listen to you when you're talking to them like that. And I and it's not even that the message isn't isn't deserved. You know what I mean? Like I'm not saying that. Like I'm on the side of the person saying the thing. I just think as a 
as a person who's standing back watching it happen, I'm like, uh, I don't think that's how conversations like this get anywhere. Um, but how did you actually, like, so you did all these things, but they worked and that's, and, and do you, how, what do you attribute that to? I think it was really the collective action and the coordination of so many people. So many people were writing to their MLAs and emailing and phoning. And so it wasn't just a meeting with the health minister, but it was like every every person in our group with type 1 diabetes or who is connected in some way to type 1 diabetes was mm-hmm. trying to get a meeting with their own MLA and also phoning the health minister. So we we had many, many meetings with different MLAs and then... When they're all hearing similar messaging about why this is so desperately needed, then I think when they do have those moments in caucus and they're together and one of them says, hey, you know, I keep, keep hearing from, from people, diabetes, it's like really a problem. And then somebody else chimes in, yeah, like, yeah, I, I've been hearing this too. Right. And they, they all started to get education around it we we've always tried to focus on the education aspect of it and with each media event we kind of chose a different topic to educate around and there there's so much it's like it's almost endless like you can as as you know very well you can keep talking and talking about different aspects of diabetes and we just kind of kept hoping that eventually they would understand enough to want to take that action and we also we also focused specifically on members of the finance committee because even when you've persuaded the civil service and you've persuaded the health minister then if the health minister eventually comes to the finance committee and says look I'd like to do this but we don't have quite enough money for it that's where it can die. It can die if the finance minister doesn't understand how important it is. Trevor, what I need to understand, though, is when you come into those meetings, I mean, that's amazing. But you're not, I'm guessing, yelling. You're not saying you're killing us. You're like, it's coming from like, you listen, I'm not trying to denigrate anybody. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, no, I think, I think we always approached it and we continue to approach it from a perspective of they just don't quite understand yet, (laughs) but they will, they will understand. Um, You don't make the assumption that they're a monster trying to kill you and you're defending yourself (laughs) against this charging horde. No, no. And, and I think that positive attitude really helped with our events at, at each event that we hosted, we managed to get people to attend from each political party, not just from the government side and not just from the opposition, but all of them. Right. Um, we have three political parties here in Manitoba. So that that really speaks to, um, you know, if, if you've got politicians from all sides willing to be seen with you in public, that's a really good thing. Like yeah. you want to you you want to aim for that to to not to not be so abrasive that that people are just going to be scared to actually be near you in public that the way know, this you went don't want yeah. to do that from what i could see from the outside and the way you guys handled this and i realized it's a big uh effort um it's one of the great reasons i wanted to have you on because y- you i mean you didn't kill them with kindness right but you just you came at them 
constantly intellectually, constantly data, constantly with, I know you have a problem to fix. Here's how you can fix your problem and fix our problem. Um, and, and it never felt contentious and it never felt like, I'm sure you were, you know, frustrated behind the scenes and everything, but in the moment at the events or in any of your forward messaging, it was always very positive. And, um, I just think you don't, I, you know, like, listen, somebody could be as wrong as wrong could be, uh, you running up to them and yelling, you're wrong. And I don't like you. And why do you hate me? It's not the first sentence that ends with, oh, and we worked it all out later. It just, it doesn't go that way. You know what I mean? So it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I guess we, we focused a lot on personal stories when, when we had meetings with MLAs or with the health minister, we tended to open with personal stories. One of our members um, has a, a kid who experienced a lot of seizures before getting a CGM. Mm-hmm. And now seizures are no longer a regular part of this child's life, which is great. Yeah. So she, you know, we're like, Liz, you have to tell your seizure story in this meeting that we have coming up. And she's like, yep, okay, all right, I'll, so, I'll do that yeah, again. Right. Um, <laughs> I'll live, let me live through it one more time, just so we can get Manitoba squared away here. Um, but, you know, I think that if you're, obviously, you're looking to expand it past the age of 25, which is clearly obvious. But, I, you know, if I had, uh, if I could make a wish for you, I would wish that that you'd go back to those people who you've already whose minds you've already changed and ask them to put a little effort into contacting an official in a different province and explaining to them what they've learned. Because maybe you could get that like spread effect that way because you've already got you've already built more warriors and they're prepared. They know the whole story. And if they were just to call a colleague and say, hey, give me 20 minutes. I want to explain something to you that I've figured out here. Uh, and and just make you aware of it, boy. That would, to me, that would that would be how you how you make it spread across Canada. To, that that's, yeah seems obvious. But. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And I I think also I would love to see less of the burden of this placed on patients who yeah. are dealing with this chronic disease every day, which is already plenty to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would love to see more people who are not actually living with type one diabetes trying to do what they can to help. Well, Trevor, um, now now we're on Star Trek land, man. That ain't gonna happen. <laughs> no, but you know, some people did that for us here. There there were phone calls made to our premier from other provinces, mm-hmm. and I I'm sure that that really helped. No, I imagine. Um, hey, what's an MLA? I I, I realize an hour into this isn't the time to oh. ask. <laughs> That's a member of the legislative assembly. Okay, I just assumed everybody heard government person when you said that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Government person. That's what it is. But, Uh, you know, we haven't talked about our ridiculous insulin pump process at all yet. Well, Um, can we make sure that we do? Yes. Can we end with that? Because I'm I'm, I'm on such a strict time schedule today. So uh, I'm not going to I'm not rushing you. But let's uh, let's button up with that. So I the best I can tell you is that my interactions with Canadians happen mostly, you know, over the internet. Um, and I hear a lot about, we can't get a pump. We can't talk somebody into something. That's not how we do things here. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to hear that. It's a lot of that old timey. Like it just feels like you're managing diabetes in 1983. 
and, yeah. and and that's the direction you're getting. But what happens specifically with pumps? Yeah, so here it's I I think again it's one of the one of the most difficult parts of the country to get an insulin pump. Um, and I, I haven't exactly been able to figure out the reasons for that. Maybe it's just because they don't want to pay for them for that many people. Mm-hmm. But again, I think they're spending a lot of resources on barriers. So for one thing, you have to have three A1Cs in a row that are under 10%. Um, and, and of course, they have to be at least two or three months apart. So if, you're, if your kid has a flu or just a really hard couple of months and they get an A1C that's 10.2%, then they fail that and they have to start again from the beginning trying to get those three A1Cs in a row um, under so, 10%. Yeah. So for clarity, you have to take something that you're not getting good direction at, you're getting kind of lousy insulin from and no help you're struggling with it which is why you're asking for the pump but before you can have the pump you have to prove that you can be good at it without the pump which is the whole reason you're looking for the pump exactly ah uh, yeah that's more gene you know i have to say i think that pretty prime minister has me um fooled like i see that big smiling face and i'm like everything must be terrific up there uh but <laughs> <laughs> and then i imagine just you know Mounties riding polar bears, and I'm like, ah, Canada, you know. And it sounds like maybe it's just like everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, there are some big challenges here, yeah. but we we have a really unique and special one in Manitoba. I haven't been able to find that this exists elsewhere, actually. And I would love if you've heard of this happening somewhere else. Please let me know. Mm-hmm. But after you've got your third A1C under ten percent, then you have to do a psych assessment to determine your insulin pump readiness. And the first part of that is is a paper survey, pages and pages of it. And um, I mean, when, when we were trying to go through it, our kid was eight years old and he couldn't even really, like his reading level wasn't good enough to read some of those questions. And they were really bizarre. They were asking things like, if he was worried that his type one diabetes would affect um, his chances of getting married or his <laughs> chances of getting a good job one day. Um, and the kid had to fill out the, the paperwork. He was supposed to, but I mean, he couldn't really. So Trevor, we can were I tell doing you it with him. One time in my early twenties, I had the option to go to a girl's house to have sex, but I had to get gas first and it seemed like too much work, so I didn't go. <laughs> so I'm, try- I'm trying to imagine people at the end of their day, at the end of their week, fighting with this diabetes. Like, oh, now I got to fill out this giant survey full of questions that I, uh, my eight-year-old couldn't possibly know the answer to. Your eight-year-old's right. not thinking about getting married? Are you kidding? No. <laughs> Oh my god! No, right? <laughs> the gas station was not far from our house. I just want to be clear. And I was like, ah, "We could do it Saturday." <laughs> Beautiful girl, lovely person. I'm not saying anything about her. I'm just telling you, it's hard to. At the end of a long work day, it's hard to. It's hard to do more stuff, and then they and well, they give you more like, stuff. Imagine to do. that being attached to whether or not you get this really expensive item that you're you're pretty desperate for. Right. Um, 
And so instead of answering those questions honestly, which I mean, some of them may be relevant, um, I guess, like in the psych survey, instead of answering those honestly, I think what you end up doing is saying to yourself, okay, what do I need to write down that they will feel like is the right answer? Because I don't want to fail this and make it so my kid can't get a pump. Right, right. Oh, no. I mean, listen, it, that's just human nature. I had to take Arden to a doctor's appointment a, a number of weeks ago. She's having her wisdom teeth out. So she just had to go in for a, you know, a first look. And they hand you a piece of paper, and it was a COVID thing. Now, luckily, all the questions, you know, we could answer honestly. But I just thought to myself, if I went to all the trouble of driving here, and I didn't really think COVID was, you know, I was maybe on the fence about caring about it. Wouldn't I just lie here on this paper? Like, this paper is not it's not really a good way to get the truth out of me. And and then when that becomes the issue, to me, in my mind, I think, what is? just take the barrier away then. Like, why are you asking people questions about an insulin pump? They want an insulin pump. They have diabetes. Give it to yeah. them. Like, what is your, yeah. what's your problem? And in, in our case, our son was really struggling with needles and with eating food. He was at a point where he, you know, we would be like, Matthew, do you want an apple? And, and apples are one of his favorite foods. And he'd just go, no, yeah. because he didn't want the needle. Yeah, yeah. You're not asking if he wants an apple. You're asking if he wants a needle. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. It was so sad to see that. And when when we realized how, how long it would take us to get through this process, because after the paper psych assessment, then there's an in-person psych assessment, and then there's the clinic assessment, and then you can go on a wait list to get an insulin pump. And then there's pump training classes. Like it's just, it, there's so much ridiculousness. And when we realized that it would take us another year and we were looking at our kid who wasn't eating normally, what we did was we went to North Dakota and got him started on an insulin pump in like a day. Were you there. able to do that because your accent sounded similar and they thought you were from there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we were able to do that because we have the financial privilege that gotcha. our family can do that. Right, right. No, I understand. Um, but a lot of people can't, obviously, right? So Yeah, I um, was going to say while you were explaining this, this is the three A1Cs in a row, followed by the paperwork, followed by the in-person, followed by the this. I was like, this is a year, a year and a half we're talking about here, if, if it goes right. Yeah. Yeah, if you yeah. stumble, can you imagine you get two in a row, and on the third one, your the A one C doesn't come back right. You're now nine months into you got to start over again. Yeah, I mean, I I know a small child that that happened to, sure. and it it took them almost three years to get a pump, and they like that family was trying so hard. Yeah to get through all those hoops and they just couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and use a word that might, people might not think fits here, but that's an atrocity. Like that is a, that is a, that is a human rights violation to treat somebody. Like I, that. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's the right word for it. Yeah. That's just, that's, and, and I mean, to, to have to go through a psych assessment where it's like, yeah, I mean, this diabetes stuff and hating needles, it is, it is giving me some, some mental health challenges here. Like things are not okay, but for some reason I have to pass this mental health assessment first to get the thing that could help improve my mental health. And not for nothing. What does any of that have to do with getting an insulin pump? 
Can you see one relation? I don't see one relation to what you just explained and an insulin pump. I mean, if you wanted to make me go through that to get a machine gun, I might be like, all right, well, that makes sense. You you know, like, or something, but, but to get an insulin pump, like a thing that's just going to, you know, give me my base. So what it makes me think is, is that this is this old thinking again. Like I've had enough older people who have had diabetes like for decades tell me this, that pumps used to be considered a thing that you would put on somebody if they were just ignoring their care, because then at least they'd get their basal insulin from the pump. So you were thought of as a problem if you needed a pump at a certain part in history of insulin pumps. And maybe they're just stuck in that idea. I don't think that's quite it here because, I mean, if that was the case, then the kids with those super high A1Cs, they would be put on an insulin pump, right? But that's not what they're doing. They'll only put the best clients on an insulin pump. I'm saying it's letter of the the idea it would be that way, but I'm saying maybe over the years it's morphed. Maybe it's just the remembrance Mm -hmm. that, you know, quote unquote, problem people got insulin pumps. So we have to prove you're not a problem before you get it. Like, I don't know. Oh, I see. Like, maybe it's just, you know how some things get commingled after decades and you don't know why the hell you're doing what you're doing at this point. Like, if you pull the person aside out of this and said, why are you doing this? I know that I know I would bet everything I had that they wouldn't have an answer. They yeah. would not know why they're doing it. It reminds me a little bit of um, uh, psych assessments for transgender people wanting to transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am trans myself. Okay, and when I when I wanted to transition and wanted access to medical transition I had to pass a psych assessment and and at that time what people would do is like we would get together in our support group at at our local center for that and people would talk about like okay what do I need to say to the psychologist Mm -hmm. and if I say this will that set me back a year if I say that will she just wave me on like how how does this work and so you just you try to figure it out and and it seemed like what they wanted to check for was does this person have some sort of mental health issue going on that that means you know we should address that first before letting them transition not acknowledging the fact that your your depression or your struggles could could very directly be related to the fact that you haven't been able to transition right Listen, and that it could get a lot better once you do. <laughs> I could understand that question coming into a person's mind who's never considered transitioning. Like, I can see a person having that thought. I can also see that they, I could also see that there might be bad actors who just think, well, I don't agree with this. So let's prove that they shouldn't be able to do it. Like, I can see bad actors and good actors in the same thing. But here's the end of it. I'll have to bleep this out later, later Trevor. But who the cares what you want to do like just let you who cares like in what other walk of life are we stopping people from doing what they want to do i see people um pull out teeth that they that are completely healthy because they want their smile to look differently we're going to make them go through a psych evaluation for that like it's it's your life yeah right do what you want and, and i mean that's like it's been changing for trans people a lot of clinics have been changing more to an informed choice kind of model that's like good do you understand what this medication is going to do that you want to take? Right. Yes. Okay. Like you can make that choice. Right. And 
And so I think to, you know, to, to tell a person who's having a lot of trouble with needles that they need to have a psych assessment first and discuss their trouble with needles before you'll let them have an insulin pump so they don't have to deal with so many needles, it it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you ought to sit next to that person every day, and every time they put something in their mouth, jam them in the arm or the needle. See how quick, <laughs> see how quickly. Know, right? Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's another point. Like, they don't have that experience. They don't get it. Mm. No, I know. Um, we when Right when my kid was diagnosed, we were offered an appointment with one of the psychologists just to talk about things, which I think like, that's great to have that support. It is a, it's a big thing to deal with. And that's really nice that a clinic would have a psychologist to talk to. Right. But unfortunately, the psychologist just didn't seem to know anything about living with diabetes. So one of the things that my kid was talking about in this appointment was how awful he feels when his blood sugar is really high. And and just the terrible physical feeling of that and and that it also made him feel really angry. And he actually described in this appointment that he did something kind of inexplicable and really mean to his sister mm. on, on a day when he was having a super high blood sugar. And it was it was just soon after diagnosis. And the psychologist said, Well, I that that wouldn't have anything to do with your with your high blood sugar at the time. <laughs> I just saw a person online, their kid broke their arm and they started explaining to the doctor that, you know, they had to use more insulin because that that's how they knew the arm was broken because their insulin needs went up. They realized there was something wrong with the arm. The doctor, and this is going to fry your mind, Trevor, who had type one diabetes told them that that would not have an impact on your insulin use. I think I saw Did that post that and what I can't understand is like how could a doctor who has type 1 diabetes not have ever seen that in in themselves. Trevor, like, let me move the microphone a little farther away from my mouth for a second because everybody's a <laughs> idiot that's why. Okay, so <laughs> that you, you you have a bunch of people who are all trying to pretend we're something. And doctors do the like I know everything. You can't like I'm infallible. Like, and I get why they need to feel that way. I almost do understand it, but but the real message isn't fix doctors. The message is control your own life. Like I I have and I have to go in a minute, but I have a horrible feeling thinking of you sitting in a doctor's office while your kid is explaining how they feel with a high blood sugar and how you must feel in that situation. Like, like, yeah. Like just, well, and what I did after that appointment is I was, I just decided, you know what? I think I want to hear from adults who live with this disease. Mm. And after that point, I just focused on that. Like I, I read books written by people who actually have type one diabetes. And I, I, that's also what I appreciate so much about the podcast is listening to people's actual experiences because when you live with it, you know, like, you know how you're feeling and you can look at your CGM yeah. and take out the medical middleman is what you end up doing. You, 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 yeah. so, so that the message doesn't get truncated on the way to you or completely blocked. I mean, if I start talking about how upsetting it is for how many people I hear back from are like, found the podcast, listen to it, put things into progress. I've really started to understand it, started to work out. Went into the doctor's office, super excited. A1C was six, got yelled at. That's terrible. Like it really yeah, that's is terrible. so sad. Yeah. And I think, I mean, for for my kids, I've tried to make it a learning experience for them to understand that 
you know, we, we went to this clinic in Manitoba. It's the only clinic for children with type 1 diabetes, and it really wasn't working out. Mm. And so it's okay to go somewhere else yeah. and, and find somebody else. Like, you, you don't have to stick with that that one doctor. Um, I mean, here it's it's really hard because there isn't another local choice. But I, I'm glad that at least for my super privileged kids, they were able to see, oh, well, we we can just go see a different doctor. Yeah. Um, and that person does click with us, does, does make sense. She was so happy for my kid to get an insulin pump when he needed one. And she's super supportive and, and she's very happy with his A1C and time and range and all that stuff. And so that's the right choice for us. And I think... People have to realize, um, you know, any doctor can can be wrong about stuff. They're yeah. a human being, and maybe they haven't kept up to date the way that they should, or didn't learn what they should have in school, or whatever it is. You have to trust your gut because you might live in Manitoba, your own version of Manitoba, somewhere too. <laughs> and as Trevor told you forty five minutes ago, a lot of people who live there who have diabetes end up in d- renal failure, and so yeah. you know. It, <sighs> Take care of yourself. You have to. Like, you can't just sit there going, oh, the guy said it's all right. You know, like, it just, you, you, if you don't think it's all right, it, it's probably not all right. If you don't have the answers, go find them somewhere else. But do not keep going back to a person who tells you, you know, who's, you know, sticking their finger up your nose and smacking the side of the head and going, no, I'm being nice to you. No, you're not. If, yeah, you're, right. It, it, and I mean, I like, I get it. It can be very hard to do that. And I don't blame somebody who, of course, maybe hasn't felt confident to do that. I mean, like, your your kid is diagnosed, they nearly died, and the people yep. in the hospital saved Should your know. kid at that I point, or, or saved yourself if you were diagnosed as an adult in DKA. And so it's it can be hard to kind of move beyond their initial advice and figure out what else there could be out there. It's a difficult, it's a difficult transition to make from this is the person who saved us to somebody just like that person seems to not understand what we're going through. Um, Trevor, I hate to do this, but I have to go. Um, I'm having a great time and I would definitely keep talking, but I am literally going to say goodbye to you and then take a drink of water and record something else uh, right. i messed myself no, up this has been awesome i i really love talking to you oh. thanks so much for having me on the podcast oh it's my pleasure i i quite enjoyed it as well how about trevor just getting into the fight and swinging with both hands huh really amazing story don't miss their don't miss Trevor's blog post at juiceboxpodcast.com either. If you're listening on day one, two, or three, it's probably right on the front page right now. Just head over there and take a look. Thanks also to Dexcom. Did I say thanks to Trevor? Because then thanks also to... Anyway, thanks to Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor and Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash, tubeless insulin pump. Find out more at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box head over and get started right now and see if you're eligible for that free 30-day trial of the dash at omnipod.com forward slash juice box thank you so much for listening thanks for sharing the show if you bought me a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com i mean thank you thank you thank you we're actually going to be um, new members that do that will get their name mentioned when they start their membership. But there are some people who bought a level of membership who will get mentioned at every show. 
That was, um, I, I couldn't believe that anybody did that. But anyway, no matter how you choose to support the show, I am very grateful. I'll talk to you soon. I'll be back with another episode of the podcast. Before you know it, a couple of sleeps and there'll be a new one waiting right there for you in your podcast app. You are subscribed in your podcast app, right? Please, please subscribe in your podcast app. Hi, see ya. I should say something like if I lived in Canada now. Um, hockey. <laughs>